Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening in. Welcome to Leading Well, where we get to know leaders and how they make it happen. I'm host, Tim Davis. And I'm his co-host, Alyssa. And let's welcome our guest today, Kevin Mannix. Kevin, how are you doing? I am doing great. It's great to be with you. Good, good. Yeah. So, Kevin, I've known you a little bit from afar, and maybe most more recently we've gotten to know each other better, but uh, um, I think what you do is is uh, exciting and complex and, and diverse, really. But uh, how would you describe what it is you do? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I often wonder how I could describe myself, but I think that um, if... It, if you don't mind me using the <laughs> phrase, I consider myself a Renaissance man in the mm. sense that I try to be aware of many things, not necessarily an expert at many things, but aware enough that I can blend things together and be sensitive to what's going on around us and how I can play a role in making th- some things happen. But I start with my relationship with my wife mm. and then our children and grandchildren, families at the center of it, my church, my faith. And then as I reach out, how do I understand other things? How do I blend them together so that I can play an effective role in helping people achieve goals that we need to achieve for our community? So hmm. uh, in the old days, a Renaissance man was a man of many knowledge, knowledges or capabilities. And, um, and I'd like to say that I have enough of a dip into different things so that I'm comfortable addressing those things without pretending to be the top expert at those things. There are a few areas where I have expertise, but not everywhere. Hmm. So there's a long answer for you. Yeah, yeah. Like, how did uh, how'd you meet your wife? We met at the University of Virginia. And uh, uh, the long story short part of this is I was an undergraduate at the University of Virginia, and I was I eventually became the, the student council president for the university. Right. But as a third-year student, I was appointed to the university committee on co-education of the college because this state university still had an all-male College of mm-hmm. Arts and Sciences at the premier uh, state university in Virginia. And on this committee, I was the one undergraduate, and there was one graduate student and all these administrators uh the hoity-toity folks. (laughs) And they came up with a plan for a 10-year quota system on the admission of women to the college. And after the 10 years, they would reevaluate where they're going to go. Mm. I wrote a minority report. And I said, this is wrong. We're a state institution. Women need to be admitted on an equal basis. And yes, perhaps we would need a two-year transition plan to change the facilities and programs to respond to the needs of women. Well, my minority report was there, just me, and then the committee did their big report, and there was litigation going on about co-education. So they got to work on a compromise. They took it to the Board of Visitors. And what was the compromise? A two-year transition plan to the full admission of women. (laughs) That sounds familiar. Yeah. (laughs) Susanna was in the Dominican Republic. She's the, the daughter of a U.S. Foreign Service officer. She's going to high school there. And she applies to the University of Virginia College, thinking, well, they have a home in Falls Church. That's their home base when they go back. And it's a state university, apply. She gets a letter back, congratulations, you're in the first co-ed class of the College of Arts and Sciences. Wow. Mm-hmm. Which she didn't know that they weren't co-ed. She just assumed <laughs> they should be. Like, oh. <laughs> so she arrives in her, and we call them first, second, third, fourth year, not freshman through senior, mm. in her first year. And she needed to make some more money. 
a little time ago, and we were running an election and we needed to part-time workers to watch the ballot boxes. So I'm student, I'm in my fourth year of student council president and she comes in to apply for the job and, uh, and, uh, and she did get the part-time job to make some money so she could afford some of the uh, stuff kit college kids need to. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, she hadn't been given enough money by her folks. So the first year of co-education, Susanna comes and I meet her. And it was a year and a half later that I was in law school. I kept in touch with her, kept my eye on her. <laughs> but um, I finally got her to uh, go out with me on St. Patrick's Day. Oh. Um, and my, uh, later on, uh, that was our first date. So we met at the University of Virginia. By chance, um, uh, there's this big co-education program I fought for, and she happened to be the first class. And uh, and, and then later, uh, uh, we started dating, and then we got engaged and got married right after she got. She was two years college, two years nursing, got her uh, BS in nursing, and I was already, I got my JD law degree the, the, within two weeks of her getting her nursing BS degree. And wow. we got married at the Catholic uh parish church at the university and honeymooned through Mexico and San Francisco to Oregon. Wow. Because we chose Oregon to be our home state. Hmm. And that was all Susanna's fault. Because <laughs> I thought we we're in Virginia, right? And my folks had their I was a foreign service kid too. We had our home in Arlington. And she said, so let's adopt a home state. And we in those days you don't have the internet, but we read up on the various states. We got down to the Northwest. It was Washington versus Oregon. And then Tom <laughs> McCall was saying, visit, but don't stay. I said, how cool is that? Yeah. Governor Tom McCall of Oregon. <laughs> so uh, at 73, I came out and um, spent a week exploring and interviewing. And this is my last year of law school. And I still remember driving back from, um, uh, where was it? Uh, along the coast, Cannon Beach. And I'd seen the sunset, had a beer at a local tavern, driving back. And in those days, they had phone booths. Uh, and stopping at a phone booth on the way back, because I was staying in Portland, mm. saying, all right, Susanna, this is the place. This is a great place for us to go. So we both honeymooned to Oregon. In those days, you still had air service at Salem Airport. Mm. Yeah. Landed with United again, Airlines, but... <laughs> a 727, which had gone from San Francisco to Medford to Salem. And um, I had landed a job with the Oregon Court of Appeals as a law clerk here in Salem. She had landed a job uh, with Salem Hospital as a nurse. Mm -hmm. And so we started out with a home in Salem. But then we said, well, we'll explore the rest of the state. We spent the next couple of years looking around and kept coming back. to. So he had bought a house in Salem, a 1920 house. And uh, we said, no, Salem's where we want to be. And uh, we love the state. And... We've had a house in Salem since January of 1975. Wow. Came came out in 74. I've told you more yeah. than enough there. No, but, that's yeah. cool. So this yeah. became our place of roots, and all of our relatives are on the East Coast, except mm. my brother has now moved to Oregon in his retirement, and he actually works part-time at my law firm because he's bored. <laughs> he's not a lawyer. He just... <laughs> Yeah, sometimes you want to do stuff when you're retired. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's a really that's a really cute story. It's something that you're passionate about with that minority report leading into you being able to meet your soon to be or at the moment soon to be wife. That's that's really awesome. And I use it as an example of trying to do the right thing and speaking up to authority. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because here I could have kept my mouth shut and been an undergraduate, just signed off on this, and maybe the court would have approved a ten year quota. I don't think they would have. I don't think they should have, but. 
at least they heard a voice saying, wait a minute, here's a, a rational, fair alternative, mm. which ended up being the solution that was adopted. Yeah. What was like the first thing you think you were passionate about? I just saw something that a sister-in-law of mine wrote when she was doing a college paper that someone shared with me. It turns out that apparently since I was like seven years old, I've always been interested in politics. I think that there's a combination of faith and family and then community, and everyone has a role to play. And I'll say that what I recognized early on was back to this Renaissance man thing. I was a utility infielder of student activities, Mm. did a lot of different stuff, Uh, never an athlete, never very good at athletics. And that's okay. um, But involved in a lot of other stuff in high school, and that went on at the university, involved in a lot of stuff. And I thought that really helped me have a, a broad perspective. And even in college, my major was a liberal arts major not a particular major. So I, I studied art history, I studied drama, I studied French, as well as Spanish literature. And mm. of course we had to take, but I was an equal scholar, so the funny thing is they give scholars such free play. You know, it's, it's, I, 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 with a no major major, I did a liberal arts major, and I, I did take, I took a course in constitutional law, but I also took philosophy, all of these other courses to sort of have a broad base because I knew I wanted to go to law school. Mm. And I think lawyers need to have a broader perspective. You can't just mm. be looking at political science or government or whatever, and then they head in those directions. So yeah. I had a, a pretty broad base, and then I was involved in our church all the way through a college and law school. And we actually had a university parish, which was unusual, uh, mm. St. Thomas Parish, and I became uh, the president of the parish council, and involved in the, the church services, but I was also there as a, involved in student politics. Well, you know, leadership has a way of following people, right? You know, no matter where we, you know, end up, and you're talking about how you can use it both in your faith or in your profession and, and so on. Like, I know that, uh, you know, education's important. I know your faith's important. I know you've been instrumental, you know, with, uh, you know, Blanchett and, and some of those things. Um, What's maybe something that uh, you see in the future for education, maybe in Oregon? Oh, I think the school choice is the phrase to describe education for the future. Mm -hmm. And that means parental empowerment Mm -hmm. and an understanding that parents are uh, the leading advocates and the leaders in the education of their children. And we've moved too much to a system where the arrogant bureaucrats of the— educational intelligentsia think they know better and they think mm-hmm. they know so much better that they should be forcing an education system on our kids. And I think the pushback that's occurring now is very healthy where parents are saying, wait a minute, uh, the courts have long recognized and the American system has recognized that parents are primarily responsible for their children. Right. Now, every once in a while we have irresponsible parents and we have to deal with that. But by and large, it's right. the parents who need to be taking care and leading their children. And we need to respect the role that parents have in discerning what is best for their kids. And we've gotten into a system now where we're turning more and more at what we were. I think the pushback is happening, allowing folks with their own political agendas and their own social agendas to try to drive an educational agenda Mm. that is not in tune with our real history and is not in tune with our real respect for family and parents. And it needs to be changed. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, 
if you're looking at uh, things you do in in your life that affect your leadership, um, that, that might what are things that pop into your head uh, as far as maybe there's routine? So there's certain things that you do that you think whether it's how you start your day or yeah, I mean, what are things that pop into your head about that? Well, I end my day with prayer, and I start my day with a, a brief prayer. You know, Lord, help me to do the right things today to make a positive difference. Thank you for the blessings that you've given me, and how do I use those blessings for the best uh, possible result in my work with my family? And by the way, please help me remember that I'm not perfect, (laughs) (laughs) and I will make mistakes, and others will make mistakes around me, and we need to be considerate of that and flexible in responding to the humanity of folks around us. And that uh, I think that's important. And then as we, as we go through the day, leadership involves, one, responding to the needs of others, but then also identifying the potential of others, mm. identifying solutions that others may not have thought of. And I pride myself on that, um, listening to various perspectives and then saying, so how about this? And by the way, sometimes recognizing when you throw out a proposed idea, it's not good. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Okay, that won't work, <laughs> but let's let's be willing to throw out some ideas, and that's where you have to have your ego under control. Uh, be willing to have someone say, here's why that won't work, and listen to that. Other times, well, maybe that won't work, but how do we adjust it to make it work? Is it something worth doing to solve a problem or fix something? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you think of, uh, you mentioned mistakes. I mean, there's a lot of times that I've, I've, well, I've heard this phrase of, it's only a failure if you don't, like, learn from it right Right. and so if you make a mistake and then you just keep making those same mistakes you know then that's a little bit silly but if you've you make a mistake and then you learn from it i mean that's how learning even works for from infancy to adolescence and all through adulthood so yes and i think one of my strengths in the political world is and i'll call it that is to listen to the issues and the challenges that confront us and first of all prioritize there's some stuff that really deserves attention right now. Some stuff maybe we let it simmer for a little while because you can't do everything at once. You want <laughs> to do everything at once, but you can't. And to decide, well, let's pick some targets. Let's choose some priorities where we can get something done and and then have a sense of how long it ought to take to get that something done and try to challenge yourself to meet that kind of schedule. Yeah, yeah. So you've, uh, you know, you've, Operated your own business for uh, what thirty thirty six years? Yeah, yeah. Um, what are maybe some of the key things you you've learned through the ups and downs of of you know running a business and that type of thing? One of the main things is be real careful about who you hire. <laughs> um, uh, be somewhat analytical about your interviews and the paperwork available to you and the references that you get. Be and. Uh, I say that from experience. 95% I've been successful in hiring really good people Mm. who do really good stuff. Every once in a while, there's been a failure where the person is not the right fit for the job. And I say it's not their failure, it's our failure because I should be discerning who will get this job done well. And sometimes you just recognize after a while this isn't working out. Mm. And occasionally there will be deception. Right. And that is very rare. But I've had one instance where uh, I had to fire somebody because the person lied to me. Right. And I, I can't accept that. Uh, it's right. one thing to make mistakes, screw up. Uh, it's another thing to out and out lie. Now, 
I've only had one of those absolute things, and it was sure. not an attorney. It was a staff person mm-hmm. in 36 years. And one other time, um, I had to fire an attorney who had misled mm-hmm. me about the work that the attorney had done. And there, But, you, you know, you have these storm signals uh, along the way, and I've been observing them. And then finally you confirm that this person isn't really doing things right, and you have to have a conversation about that. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, uh, for all the people that have worked for me over the years— They've done a good job, uh, some, and a number of them move on to other jobs because it's the best thing for them and their sure. family, and I always wish them well. But there is that you need to be fine-tuning as best you can, and I'd say that since that, that one person I had to fire very quickly, I've not hired anybody since that put me in that position. Yeah, I've, I, I've learned to tune in a little more to the individual and their personality and mm-hmm. their background. Are they going to fit in with a, in a place where trust is important? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, your business is, is maybe different than ours. Uh, you know, at y- your skill sets, they're much more uh, particular in what you do than what we do. But we always say if we can do the best job we can of, of laying out who we are as an organization and the DNA, we call it, that, that is Valor or whatever, then we have a better chance of attracting the people who, who will fit well. And then sometimes we have a little more flexibility in you're on the right bus. You're just not right on the right seat on the bus. There so you go. Depending on their skill set or, or passions and so on. So, yeah. But uh, but trust is something very difficult to get back. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And yeah. and and in a law firm, uh, we may think a case or a matter is relatively insignificant, but to our client, it is very significant. <laughs> exactly. <Yep. laughs> oh, man. So, you know, someone like you who's very passionate about a lot of things, you you have your hand in a lot of different, like, you know, politics. You have it in law firm and community and all these other things. Do you think you'll ever retire? What does that look like to you? What, what do you think that season looks like? I'm a little different from most people about that. I don't think of myself as retiring. Mm-hmm. I do think there are transitions in life. And even in my law practice, the work that we're doing now has transitioned. And I have uh, attorneys who work for me who are really fine attorneys uh, who are building up their capabilities. I think there'll be transitions. But I'm transitioning back into the legislature if I win yeah. the election right. in November. Exactly. And that's where uh, it's it's – it's something that I, w- I actually enjoy being involved in governance where we can work to bring about solutions. And I enjoy having a law firm where I can choose who my clients are. Now, mm-hmm. early on, you know, you're trying to get every case you can. You're paying the bills. Yep. You pay the bills. <laughs> and now we're at a stage where, well, you know, we can decide, well, we choose not to do that. We choose to do this. And a good piece of what we still choose to do has to do with uh, uh, nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Right. And helping them uh, evolve and serve the community and trying to help them from a legal perspective, but also setting up a fee schedule that they can afford, mm. which right. uh, you know, I'm sensitive to how hard it is for them to raise the money they need to raise. So yeah. uh, the short answer is uh, I'm blessed with good health and I intend to use that and I enjoy what I'm doing and I want to have that continue to involve, evolve, not involve. And... Mm. Uh, We'll see where that goes. But someone yeah. asked me, so if you're elected, how long do you want to serve? I said, well, I could see 10 years. Right. The uh, 10 years is about the time frame we can get some things done quickly. Other things are going to have to evolve. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so I'm not patient about it, but I understand the time frame. Yeah. 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 So uh, with God's blessings, um, 
uh, I'll be around for some time with a law firm and with a, a political involvement, uh, but also involvement in education. I'm still on the board of directors at Blanchett Catholic School. We opened in 1995. I, I led the team that established the school, and I stayed on as chairman of the board until three years ago. And now I'm on the executive committee and the board, but I love what I see there. And I'm now more the guy who can say, well, we remember when or whatever. Mm. Right. Even continuing to change, for instance, I noticed that more and more of the board members, including myself, were former parents. And changing and saying, you know, we need to have a number of current parents on our board. Mm. So we have constant input because we're an independent corporation. Sure. Blanchett needs to have a board that's very aware. And we've got a great president. Bob Weber is doing a wonderful job. He's a good dude. But what my claim to fame is um, I was in charge of the team that hired Guido Calderazzo when we got started. I was in charge of the team that hired Chuck Lee. Uh, then mm. we had Tony Guevara, and now we have Bob Weber. And for each of those presidents coming in, all of whom uh, have done various good things, Chuck Lee in particular with his 16 years, yeah. I, uh, I'm proud of the fact that I identified the talent and brought them in and then backed them up and let yep. them. And Bob Weber is doing a wonderful job now. Yeah. And then our other our fellow Christian schools, I, I try to be as supportive as possible. We're all in this. Uh, sure. for the best possible faith experience for our kids. I always tell people, 40% of the kids at Planchette are not Catholic. Right. Uh, we are really an open institution, mm -hmm. not proselytizing, so people are comfortable. It's a, an atmosphere of prayer and faith. And uh, I think of Salem Academy, a wonderful school. Whatever sure. I can do to help our right. religious schools and our non-religious private schools and then our homeschoolers prosper. Because yeah. I think right now they're doing the best job educating our kids. So what, uh, if you're talking to your 25, 30 year old self, uh, what's a piece of advice you'd give yourself? You know, Stay flexible. Opportunities came forward where um, you need to recognize them and respond to them. And you can't always plan ahead what's, what's available to you. I never would have thought of coming to Oregon until Susanna said, why are we just gonna stay in Virginia? Let's adopt a home state. And it was a wonderful choice. Once uh, we came here, going to work for the Oregon Court of Appeals as a law clerk, uh, when I came out to interview, they'd already filled all the law clerk positions on the Supreme Court. There was one opening left on the Court of Appeals. I interviewed for that, and then later I was offered that job. And that meant we were in Salem. But then we explored the rest of the state. And, no, okay, Salem was the good choice for us, and this is where we're going to be. But... Then an opportunity arose to go to the U.S. Territory of Guam as an assistant attorney general. And Suzanne and I had talked about, this is B.C., before children. Right. Um, <laughs> an opportunity to spend a couple of years out there uh, serving. And she was a civilian nurse for the U.S. Navy, and I was an assistant attorney general in Guam doing a variety of things. Then they try to convince you to stay, right? <laughs> well, no. We talked about that. No, we were right. coming. We had rented out our house to friends while we were gone. So we came back. And <laughs> this is how I found out there was an opening uh, for what they're called hearings referee. Now it's administrative law judge in the Workers' Compensation Board. And I had done workers' comp practice as an assistant AG in Oregon before I left. In the uh, trial and appellate divisions, I had done workers' comp cases. And so I knew that system. And I heard about this. And so I wrote in to apply. And remember, no Internet and yeah. no Zoom meetings. <laughs> and they said, well, we need to interview you. And I said, well, I'm thousands of miles away. 
how about if you send me a list of questions and I will extemporaneously record my answers into a cassette recorder. Here's something cool mm. too. And I'll send you the cassette. So I did. And then we were coming back from Guam. We went island hopping for six weeks. We were scuba divers, scuba diving on our way back to Oregon, November. Well, uh, visiting my brother uh, in Hawaii, who was an Air Force officer, and his family for Thanksgiving, I get a call and because uh, I, I told them where I, I was going to be in Hawaii, and they offered me the job. So yeah. uh, for the next three years, I was an administrative law judge for the Workers' Compensation Board which is a great opportunity because we would travel around the state. We'd hold hearings. And then I was recruited by a private law firm to go to Portland to work for them. I agreed to do it. I was, it's, I'm telling you too many details. I did it for three years commuting, and I recognized I really hated commuting, and I wanted to have a law practice in Salem. And then they decided to get, we were doing a lot of workers' comp work. They decided to get out of that. And I said, I'll make a deal with you. Let me take my case files with me. I'll open my own law office in Salem, and then I'll share the revenue on the cases you gave me. Right. Well, that opened the door for my law firm to represent 11 different insurance companies, oh, which yeah. gave me a good basis to start. Sure. Yeah. And um, over so that was in January of 86. I opened up my practice, and I've had it ever since. And now... We don't do any workers' comp anymore. Right. <laughs> we do other stuff. Sure. But it was a great base to start with. Oh, well, Kevin, thanks so much for sharing your time with us, and uh, thanks for your deep, uh, long dedication you know, to our community and to growing yourself and to growing our community. I think it's an integral part of, of how you move a community forward. So thanks again for being with us. Yeah. It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. And if you're listening and you'd like to know more about Kevin and the things he does and what he's done for the community, you can find more information on kevinmanix.com. And if you're listening to this before the end of 2022, you can visit Mannix.org. Oregon to hear more about his candidacy.